You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. And welcome to our seventh Domecast. We thank you for listening. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. We have a great show for you today. We've got Rob Christensen a little bit later. Uh, We'll talk about the veto override and, of course, our headliners of the week. Uh, Let's go right into it with our first segment on the veto override. We were on a veto override watch all week. I'm joined now by Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer and Colin Campbell of the News and Observer. We'll hear later from Ben Brown of The Insider. And so, uh, Craig Jarvis, we had been waiting on a veto override. There was a lot of conversation about it. And finally, on Thursday in Raleigh, uh, it came to a vote. Let's uh, hear a little flavor of that. Uh, House Speaker Tim Moore uh, uh, closing the uh, very quick debate, and then uh, the vote was cast. Let's listen to that, and then we'll come back and talk about it. The question for the House is the passage of the motion to override Senate Bill 2. Those in favor will vote aye. Those opposed will vote no. The clerk will open the vote. Clerk will lock the machine record the vote. 69 having voted in the affirmative and 41 in the negative. The motion does pass by the required three-fifths vote. Senate Bill 2 having been overridden becomes law. And so there you heard the vote was 69 to 41 in favor of the override it reached the required three-fifths uh to to overcome a veto and craig jarvis uh tell us about how that unfolded and and what was that like uh there in raleigh uh uh, on thursday well yeah we had been waiting for it since june 1st which is when the senate overrode the bill uh so it had been appearing on the house calendar every day since then uh but, uh, you know, we, we all knew we were, the House, House leadership was waiting to get its numbers together, make sure it had enough members there. There were little rumblings about it on Wednesday night that it might happen. Then Thursday, it just happened in a blur. They all marched in. Uh, they, it was the first thing they took up on the calendar. Um, they, they used a, a legislative maneuver called calling the question, which prevented any debate uh, uh, on the bill. Uh, which really left Larry Hall, the um, Democratic leader of the, of the House, to uh, take what was it, three minutes to uh, to, get, to give their side, which is which was that this procedurally and substantively was the wrong thing to do, and it was kind of an ambush vote. He said, um, and it really only took a few minutes, and then then, then they were done. It was the law of the land. Uh, the governor issued a statement a little bit later saying he was disappointed. Uh, also on procedural grounds because it was Democrats were saying it needed they needed two days notice uh, and that that wasn't given so uh, that's kind of debatable but we'll see where that goes and so there are uh, uh, a potential for legal challenges uh, that being one of them of course uh, Speaker Moore said look everybody knew how they were going to vote on this no reason to to go on and on about that but are are there other avenues where we may see legal challenges challenges uh, on this one? Yeah, another argument is that the, the Constitution requires the legislature to take to proceed to reconsider a veto, um, which, you know, what that means is, is, is the heart of the legal question. It could be, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago, Tom Tillis had some bills sitting around for more than a year before they proceeded to reconsider. This was on the calendar for five days. 
but they're still saying that 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 that's that's uh, not soon enough. So that's a procedural ground that lawsuits will likely proceed on, as well as the substantive issue of the constitutional uh, equal protection issues for uh, for re religious freedom. And so, Colin Campbell, of course, that that gets us right into the the reaction. Of, this obviously is a bill that's been well debated throughout the session. Um, and, and so we heard from Democrats and, and Republicans mostly staying with where they had been. Um, but but take us through a, l a little bit of the of the vote there and and what it is that you were hearing and seeing uh, in the wake of the override. Yeah, well, this uh, vote was mostly along party lines. You had the Democrats who were against Senate Bill 2, the Republicans mostly for it, uh, with a few exceptions. There were uh, three Democrats, uh, mostly uh, the more conservative Democrats from rural areas that voted yes on the uh, motion to override on Thursday. And then you had some sort of interesting stuff going on, on the Republican side. Uh, a couple of folks, uh, one in particular, Leo Daughtry from Smithfield, a longtime member of the House, uh, very conservative Republican. He'd voted against overriding it. Uh, we're still hoping to talk to him soon about sort of his reasoning behind that. And then there was a lot of questions about some of the Republicans who weren't there. There were 10 absences total, so a, a higher number of absences from the chamber than you would see on a typical day. Um, some of those were folks who uh, would likely have uh, voted for the bill on the Republican side. Others were Democrats who were likely to be against it, and three were Republicans who had voted against it before. Charles Jeter, uh, John Bradford, and um, third one was uh, Hardister. John Hardister from over in Greensboro. And uh, all three of those guys had been fairly vocal against the bill and were not on the floor to vote. They had excused absences. And when I followed up with some of them, uh, uh, Charles Jeter said he had an awful stomach bug that kept him in his apartment all morning. Uh, Hardister said he had a personal matter to deal with. I never heard back from uh, Representative Bradford, so not sure where, where he was. But there were some questions of whether any of them had, had decided that they maybe didn't want to participate in the vote, and um, ultimately that may have had something to do with the, the outcome. Uh, from my calculations, there were probably 72 votes uh, in favor if all 120 members would be there, which would be the exact number needed to override when you have the entire chamber there. But I suspect that number would have been too close for Speaker Tim Moore to uh, have the vote with uh, the potential for one person changing their vote to sway the um, matter entirely. Instead, he did it when there was fewer people there uh, and he had a much larger margin uh, to make it safe and, and make the override happen. And as you heard, the uh, vote with 69 in favor and 110 present, which meant that he only needed 66 votes for uh, passage, and so it passed with a three-vote margin. Uh, and, and, and really, um, politically, it's it's hard to say who's a loser in this. And so Governor uh, McCrory, uh, politically, you know, he, he uh, really doesn't come out. Uh, he obviously lost on the override vote, but thinking ahead to an election, uh, this probably is politically where he wanted to be on the record as uh, uh, not in favor of, of uh, you know, the bill itself. Yeah, he uh, it puts him in that position, sure. But you also have to wonder about in the context of everything that's happened the last couple of weeks, uh, how it how it looks. He's been overridden twice now. And also he said he he stuck his neck out, said he'll sign this abortion bill. Uh, which is, has already come back to, to bite him because he made the campaign promise that he wouldn't uh, sign anything into a law increasing uh, re restrictions to abortion access. So you could argue those are three losses for him. And uh, 
it makes him look weak. On the other hand, he's staked out his territory uh, separate from the General Assembly, which he needed to do, um, showing he's a little more of a moderate that can uh, appeal to the state as a whole. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, let's uh, take a break, and we'll hear uh, next from Rob Christensen, the uh, political columnist for the News and Observer. Uh, after uh, a brief word, we'll be back in a moment. Social Security believes the integrity of our programs is important. To protect the people we serve and the services we offer, we use many tools to identify, prevent, and stop fraud. We identify fraud by using tools that predict the chance of fraud happening. We also have stiff penalties that discourage people from committing fraud. Social Security has zero tolerance for fraud and so should you. If you suspect someone is committing Social Security fraud, report it online at http colon slash slash oig.ssa.gov slash report or call the Social Security Fraud Hotline at 1-800-269-0271. And we're back on the Domecast, our weekly look backwards and forwards on all things in North Carolina politics and government. I'm Andy Curlis with the News and Observer. I'm here with Rob Christensen, uh, also of the News and Observer. Many of you know him from his columns that run uh, twice a week in the newspaper. And of course, he's been following politics in North Carolina for uh, four decades uh, at this point. Is that right, Rob? Since prehistoric times. Since prehistoric times, he says. And Rob, you uh, welcome to the Domecast, by the way. Thank you. And you were at the uh, Republican convention, which wrapped up in Raleigh this past uh, weekend, and had a chance to see in person some of the uh, presidential or potential presidential candidates on the Republican side. And I thought it might be fun to just kind of run through them and uh, hear hear your perspective on what you saw, what you heard. Um, and why don't we take it in order of appearance, I guess. Uh, the first, uh, the first and, a, and a major candidate really was the Wisconsin governor, Scott Walker. And I wonder, uh, Rob Christensen, what was uh, your thoughts on seeing and hearing from Scott Walker? Well, first of all, Andy, let me just say that uh, what makes a huge difference here is the fact that the General Assembly moved the, uh, the the presidential primaries up so that North Carolina now matters. It was a flyover state, and the presidential candidates used to just avoid North Carolina. Now that's been moved up. They're not quite sure of the date, but probably be the first Tuesday in March. Now the presidential candidates are, are coming to North Carolina and paying attention. So that's new. So to Scott Walker, the governor of Wisconsin, um, well, he had a very warm reception here. He was the first speaker. And uh, it, it, he certainly appears to be a, a, a very strong candidate, and, and there's several reasons why that's so. For one thing, he appeals to all elements of the Republican Party. He's acceptable to, uh, to, uh, to moderates. He's acceptable to conservatives. Um, you know, he became a kind of a, a hero to, to a lot of Republicans uh, when he fought the uh, public unions in Wisconsin, and then he withstood a... a, 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 a a challenge to him, and they tried to, do, to recall him. And so uh, he brings uh, a lot of credibility. He seems to be a, a candidate's on the rise right now. Uh, not the most dynamic speaker, you know. He's no, he's no Reagan. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a lot of charisma. Uh, but you know, that's that can be overcome. Uh, and so maybe, you know, we have a president right now who's got a lot of charisma, and so maybe Republicans may be looking for somebody who's maybe a little has a little bit less charisma this time. So that, that may not be a, 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 
a tremendous uh, problem for him this time around. Yeah, not a, a household name in North Carolina. Uh, the the latest polling I had seen, uh, he had the by far the most uh, un, unknown uh, type numbers, but otherwise uh, very favorable for Scott Walker, uh, the governor of Wisconsin. Next on the uh, uh, next in appearance order, I guess, if you will, was uh, Ted Cruz, right? The uh, senator from Texas? Yes. And, and he is, of course, the uh, the Tea Party favorite, and he's very well known among uh, Republican activists. And and he is, uh, you know, he, he is somebody who really, the, when people who go attend Republican conventions are, are, they are the activists and are very, very, uh, very, very conservative and, and, and he speaks their language, and so he he really connected with that audience, and he is a very very good speaker, uh, and he is uh, very smart, and uh, the question is whether he can move beyond his Tea Party base, and uh, and appeal to a broader base within the Republican Party, but he is not to be uh, not to be underestimated. He he is a political talent, uh, very good speaker, very smart. Uh, and and he ha definitely has a very strong following within the party. And so Ted Cruz, of course, he outlined for you uh, his, uh, in a way, likening the the primary to a, something a lot of people around here are familiar with, an NCAA tournament. Uh, in a way, his own bracketology. That's right. Yeah. So he figures he's got the Tea Party uh, Tea Party crowd are his are his people. And, and he needs to make inroads uh, among the uh, among the evangelicals, and he thinks he's fighting Mike Huckabee. Uh, he and Mike Huckabee will merge as the favorites there, uh, the former Arkansas governor, and then libertarians. And he says, of course, the libertarians. The Rand Paul is uh, the Kentucky senator is the favorite there, but he thinks that there is a certain segment of libertarians that are not quite comfortable with the uh, Kentucky senators. Uh, uh, foreign policy, where he's not very interventionist in terms of uh, the Middle East and so forth, and uh, whereas Senator Cruz is, and that they may be some libertarians may be looking for somebody who's a little more aggressive in terms of foreign policy, and he thinks he can pick off some of those people, and and then he thinks maybe he can even pick off some moderate donors who are saying, listen, Republicans went moderate from their point of view, moderate with Romney and McCain last time didn't work out so well for him this time. Maybe, uh, maybe we should try a conservative. Somebody can really rally the Republican base. That's his argument. And so uh, you went from uh, Scott Walker and Ted Cruz, who are getting a lot of attention, to someone who always generates a lot of attention, and that is uh, Donald Trump, the businessman from uh, New York who, who came in and, and really uh, gave some unusual uh, uh, an, an unusual speech. Is that fair to say? That is very fair to say, and he was, he was a piece of work. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I've, I have never, uh, I've never uh, seen a, in all my years of covering politics, I never see, saw a, a, a mainline, mainstream, uh, politician get up and use a four-letter word for manure before, before <laughs> for a crowd that included a large number of evangelicals. Uh, it was uh, he is uh, uh, he is uh, as they say su genre one of a kind. Mm -hmm. But he was very entertaining, and it was uh, he, he was he was not afraid to put down everybody and, and tell everybody how smart he was and how he was too rich to be corrupted and uh, and how he by golly he knew how to 
uh, take care of the immigrant problem because he could build a wall, and if there was anything he knew about it was building walls. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you know what you're going to get with uh, Donald Trump, uh, who who uh, strongly indicated he will enter the race. Uh, and that is expected in the coming week. I guess we'll hear from Jeb Bush in the coming week as well. And at the Republican convention in uh, here in Raleigh, uh, the, of of the big uh, names, uh, presidential candidates, the 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 last one who made an appearance was Ben Carson. And so, uh, Rob, tell us about uh, Ben Carson. Well, he was at a, uh, a prayer breakfast on Sunday, and so he. He was. Uh, we didn't get the full flavor of Ben Carson because it was almost a non-political speech, not quite a non-political speech, and so we, we, I didn't get the full flavor of, uh, of, of 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 Carson. He was, uh, but he was sort of the uh, anti-Trump. You know, he was uh, very, uh, uh, very soft-spoken and very humble and that, that sort of thing. Of course, he is the uh, he's the neurosurgeon and uh, and he's an African American, which you know it's which makes him a little bit different in the Republican uh, primary. And uh, he, had, he, had, he has, by the way, a, a significant number of supporters in the Republicans, and there were a lot of, there were a lot of uh, 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 win, Ben, win signs out there. So he, he has no question about it. He, there are a lot of Ben Carson, you know, well, a lot. Is there, you know, is he, he's certainly not a, a front runner in, in the primary, but the, he has some dedicated supporters in the Republican primary, among primary voters, no question about it. And Ben Carson has been in North Carolina uh, before. This was not his first visit here and has enjoyed, uh, of, of his supporters, they are clearly vocal Mm-hmm. And um, and excited about him as a potential candidate on the Republican side. Let's take a break, uh, and I guess as we go out, uh, we wouldn't want to lull you to sleep with Ben Carson. So let's hear from uh, Donald Trump uh, in an in an interview with uh, the News and Observer as we head out into a break, and we'll be right back listening with uh, Donald Trump in Raleigh. They asked me to be the keynote speaker of the Republican Party, and I accepted. And they have the biggest crowd that they've ever had, so it's really a nice honor. And I love North Carolina. As you know, I have property in North Carolina that's very successful. And I, I just love the state. I have so many friends. So they asked me to be the keynote speaker. I came, and they set their record because people want to see this country be great again. People are tired of what's going on with the incompetence of leadership and politicians. So I think that's why the crowds are so big. They're hearing what I'm saying. And welcome back to the Domecast. Time now for our headliners of the week. This is the moment in the show when we uh, ask each of our panelists. We're bringing in Ben Brown now, also of The Insider, Colin Campbell of The News and Observer, who you heard from earlier, and Craig Jarvis of The News and Observer, also uh, from our first segment. And uh, so Ben, Colin, and Craig uh, will... Uh, nominate a headliner of the week, someone who was a newsmaker, if you will. I'll give them 45 seconds. I've got my bell here. Uh, we'll we'll ding the bell if they get if they go too long, and, uh, and 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 then we'll we'll have a little bit of fun and decide who was the headliner of the week. So let's start now first with Colin Campbell. Who was your headliner of the week? 
Well, my pick this week is Hassan Harnett, who is uh, now the new chairman of the North Carolina Republican Party, replacing Claude Pope, who is uh, stepping down to return to his Bald Head Island home. Uh, Harnett was not the guy that people thought was going to win. Uh, Craig Collins is an attorney from Gastonia. He was the uh, candidate preferred by Governor McCrory, Senator Tillis, Senator Berger, uh, Speaker Moore. Pretty much every major Republican sort of establishment figure in the state wanted this uh, Craig Collins to be the new chairman. Uh, instead, uh, the party faithful at the meeting uh, last Saturday rallied behind Hassan Harnett, who will become the party's first uh, black chairman in its history. Uh, he gave this very passionate, fiery speech uh, that got the crowd worked up. He came in with a drum line. Uh, this is a guy who's probably going to bring some excitement to the party and uh, perhaps increase its appeal to minorities. <laughs> Man, I hate to hit the bell when you're right in the middle of uh, a good uh, section there, but uh, sorry, I had to hit the bell. Um, so Hassan Harnett, headliner of the week, the upset uh, bid and elected chairman of the Republican Party, an outsider within the big uh, tent of the GOP, if you will. Let's go now to Craig Jarvis of the News and Observer. Craig, who was your headliner of the week? Well, there was a surprise announcement in the middle of the week from uh, Representative Rick Glazier, a Democrat from Fayetteville, that he was going to be leaving office at the end of this uh, session, this year's session, to take a job running the North Carolina Justice Center, which is a liberal advocacy group. Uh, Glazier's really been a key member, of, uh, a real presence in the, in the House of Representatives. He's a lawyer. He's a very articulate and eloquent speaker. Uh, he's kind of set himself up as the liberal conscience on a lot of on a lot of votes but at the same time he's worked really well with Republicans he's worked on a lot of bipartisan legislation uh, so especially in these last few years with the Republican majority he has been he didn't just fold up his tent he looked for ways to work together and I think both sides appreciated that uh, it's a big loss for the Democrats <laughs> darn it <laughs> so, gross. so representative Rick Glazier who is uh, announced his uh, impending retirement slash resignation from the House, prompted uh, Craig Jarvis, it prompted uh, uh, a wide range of response as well. Uh, the Republican Party, the more partisans, uh, said uh, essentially good riddance, uh, while uh, lawmakers, uh, in particular uh, leadership uh, on the Republican side, uh, offered warm uh, congratulations to him. So Rick Glazier, a nominee as headliner of the week. And let's go now to Ben Brown of The Insider. Ben Brown, welcome to the program, by the way. Good to be here. Uh, ben Brown, who was your headliner of the week? I'm going to go with Jay Faison. He's the, uh, the Charlotte businessman who's launched a $175 million effort. Again, a $175 million effort to get his fellow conservative Republicans on board believing in climate change. Uh, he launched a nonprofit called Clear Path the website just debuted and has a series of quotes and litanies about clean energy and what businesses can do. And it even quotes Ronald Reagan on how to be conservative means to conserve what you hold dear. Uh, a lot of people talked about this story because with some exceptions, the GOP hasn't always gotten along with belief in climate change. And this is a big, big investment. So Jay Faison is my pick. Jay Faison of uh, the Charlotte area. That's that correct. Right? a nominee for headliner of the week so this is the moment uh i have to say uh we're missing uh, pat gannon uh this week i know if he were sitting here he would nominate tim moore 
uh, uh, as headliner of the week who who delivered the override, uh, but he's not on the table now. So I will sift through uh, these nominees, and I have to say the headliner of the week uh, is Hassan Harnett, who uh, was able to move into a position of great prominence uh, and now is the chairman of the Republican Party. And so as we go out, let's hear from Mr. Harnett, uh, who is the new chairman of the Republican Party in North Carolina. And we thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Today, I live my life by two books. The first is the Bible, and the second is the Constitution. I am a constitutional conservative who believes in our founding principles that we are endowed by our creator with natural rights. I am living the American dream, and the Republican Party is the only party that can keep that dream alive. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.